Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. This week is going to be a complicated one. So I'm going to say right off the bat, we are going to be talking about 1974's Chinatown, a movie that was directed by one Roman Polanski, and we will have to talk about Roman Polanski. So we're not going to go long on that. We're going to try and keep it brief, but we can't talk about the movie without talking about him, and we will be talking about another one of his movies uh, going forward as well. So we do need to discuss him and so if you are not in a state where you want to listen to listen about um sexual assault and the justice system then uh we bid you adieu we will we 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 will leave him behind and pick up the movie and i can i will put a time stamp in Mm -hmm. as to when we're gonna pick up so we will if you want to leave entirely We'll see you next week. We're talking about Deliverance. It's not a lot better, y'all. <laughs> uh, so you Some might want to come back in two weeks. Rough yes, yes. Uh, so you might want to come back in two weeks when we're talking about Rear Window. But if you can hang with us, we would appreciate it. So before we get into any of the Polanski of it all, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you how your week was. My week has gone pretty well. I had lunch with a friend today. I have. Um, I had a wild, weird weekend too. So I'm actually pretty good. I'm I'm doing pretty well. We've just we've both now come back from like week long vacations, right. unheard of, separate. Mm-hmm. You were gone for five days or three days, I guess four days, and then I was gone for a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, how you had a wonderful. I had a fantastic time. Yes, you did. Uh, I had my first vacation in uh, well. At the beginning of the year, my therapist said, when was the last time you went on vacation? And I had to say, looking at her in her face, thank God we were on a Zoom call, that the last vacation I took uh, was the two weeks off I took when I had cancer surgery. Oh, Jesus. And she was like, that's not a vacation. And I was like... That's called recovery. I spent a little over a year doing it myself. So um, she's like, book yourself a vacation. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I went on it. Uh, you know, I gave myself six months because I had to schedule it around client stuff. Because uh, the other thing about being a freelancer is if you don't work, you don't get paid. So right. uh, I had to set it up carefully, but I am now determined to do it, do a week off every six months or so. Because it is rejuvenating. And I don't know if you all need to hear this, but vacations, 10 out of 10, would recommend. Mm. <laughs> all right. Let's get into this. Editor Amity here letting you know to skip to 1552 to skip the discussion on Roman Polanski. He was born in Poland as a Polish Jew and was shipped off by his parents to avoid the Nazis. And I guess you said the shipping off of that, that he experienced was the last time he saw his parents well, alive. Well, it was initially to relatives... Uh, yes, his mother. Um, it's difficult finding accurate information on it's any diff- of this. On anything right. in his life. It's. But um, I was trying to find like objective things. It's almost impossible right, to because find there's objective so many, history about There's a him. lot of opinions on, and we'll go into that too. Yeah. His mother was lost in a concentration camp. His sister survived it. His father, I believe, also was lost. Part of the issue is the interview I was listening to was just before this case broke. 
and so his mastery of the English language was not 100%, so right. that, might have been, that might have been part of the problem. Right. But he was sent out to live in the country uh, during the, the war when he'd seen people actually executed by the Nazis. Yes. When they were moving uh, Jews out to a concentration camp. He grew up essentially being passed off from relative to relative and then to strangers. Yeah, foster homes. Where um, he was working for them, denying that he was a Jew. Right. At the same time, the Nazis were, uh, at one point, using him for target practice for the hell of it. Yeah, not that because he was a Jew no, Jewish, but know. because he was a child and they were in and they were proximity. So that's fun. So then he becomes a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I should say he was born in Paris. Right. Okay, so in 1968, he married the lovely Sharon Tate. She was 25 at the time. This was his second marriage. And then, we all might know this, uh, Sharon Tate was murdered by the Manson family in 1969 while pregnant with Roman Polanski's child. So now we're talking about a man who was who grew up basically tormented by Nazis, Lost his family to mm-hmm. his his parents at least to concentration camps, and then had his wife and child murdered, and now he has to go on and live a life, um, and that life led him in 1977 to be at Jack Nicholson's house, which people don't want to talk about, I guess, mm-hmm. where he it is said in many places that he drugged and raped a 13-year-old girl. It is disputed that he drugged her because he was also under the influence of drugs and was known to be a teetotaler. So it is possible that they had both been drugged. Is this an excuse for his behavior? It is not. The young lady in question has in the last, over the last 50 years or Mm -hmm. 40 years, repeatedly indicated that she does not believe that he has he should have been as persecuted for this event as he has been. Right. Um, she talks uh, a lot about how teens in en masse would go to Jack Nicholson's house for these parties and hook up with whoever that they could. Is that okay? Absolutely not. Right. Was this Hollywood in the 70s? Yes, it was. It was a fucking nightmare. And by all accounts, when Polanski either realized what he had done found out what he had done or had some time to reflect on what he had done, he turned himself in. And mm. then he pled guilty. Not to say that that right. negates what he was accused of. He was sent to have a psychiatric evaluation. All of the ju- judicial parties at that time said, if he comes out of that clean, we will consider that time served and he will be released. That was what was supposed to happen. That is not what happened. Uh, He served a 48-day stint, was released, and at that point, the judge in the case, and this is public record and has been for the last few years, the judge in the case held some off-the-record, inappropriate meetings with all parties involved, wanted to basically push his sentence up to the full 90 days that he was supposed to be in the in the program that he was in with a lot of wink wink just trust me i'll let you out after those 40 days 
um, things. And but then, years, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. yes, well, after oh. the forty-eight days or, or, that were left, or okay. whatever, on his on his sentence, I think it maybe forty-two is actually the right number, and get fed the both the defense and the prosecution lines to say in court because they were going to be on camera. And when I believe the defense counsel refused to go along with it, the judge threatened his counsel with making the sentence that Polanski was going to face years open-ended, unless the defense the, the defense counsel got um, got in line with what he wanted to have happen. At which point, Polanski could not trust this judge and fled. He fled to France and has not come to the United States since. Uh, he has left France a couple of times, but there's an Interpol uh, warrant on him, so he doesn't go very far, and when he does, he tends to get arrested. So now, of course, he's 90 years old, and travel mm -hmm. isn't really an option. His original victim, Samantha, has basically said, what we did was what everybody was doing. I didn't even know you could be arrested for it. And there was a resurgence of, like, the Academy pulled his... Uh, award that he got for directing the pianist after giving him the award for the pianist in the er, in the aughts they pulled mm -hmm. it from him in 2018 amongst the weinstein things and their quote-unquote crackdown um woody allen is still a member of the academy so let's think about who they target and who they don't it's real easy to target somebody in another country now am i Am I really like a gender traitor at the moment? Mm -hmm. Am I backing up a rapist? No, <laughs> I am not. I don't think he should get off scot-free because he's a genius. He is a filmmaking genius. I think that perhaps being exiled for 50 years might be sentence on its own. He appears to, by his own statements and the statements of his victim, have atoned to the person that matters, which is his victim. That's what comes across from it now, is that she recently did an interview with his wife. Yes. And they took a picture together, her and Roman. And her husband took that right. picture. When I saw this being covered, uh, I was watching a YouTube video because I was very familiar, uh, very, I was familiar with the outlines of the case because we both watched a documentary. Yes. Roman Polanski wanted and desired. Wanted and desired. And then did a lot of research on my own after that and found that there's a lot of contradictory kind of stories. Everything about yeah. his life, every detail of it. Detail is, of it is you can find subjective stories mm -hmm. of each piece of it. Right. There's like almost no objectivity to be found. Right. And so I think that when I, looking at this particular video, the comment section of it was just people calling Samantha a gender traitor. A gender traitor, yeah. And I'm looking at it, it's like, you know, she has a right to make peace with this. Yeah. She doesn't she have to. to and she she has, doesn't have to remain traumatized right. for anybody else's benefit. And she, she said that the press actually treated it much worse than what, what happened to her. And that her pain was sort of capitalized on by... The press, uh -huh. the justice system, yes. anybody who wanted to make their name off of this case. Yes, he absolutely should not have done these things. No, absolutely not. Yes, he should be mm -hmm. punished for them. I would argue that 50 years later, he has been punished for them. Right. And the fact that he is targeted when there are so many... Well, as we spoke <laughs> about earlier, and I'm not going to mention the other director that's kind of under suspicion of what 
what um, what the same thing he was accused of only now um, now, but when you look at the time in which this happened, this is after both Elvis Presley and Jerry Lee Lewis married thirteen and fourteen yeah uh, fourteen and thirteen year old girls respectively. All right, this is. It, this is not excusing what they did, but what I'm saying is that there's some people who get a free pass. Yes, and some there people are. who don't. And so it depends on what you're doing. Had he not been directing these spooky, creepy suspense movies, he probably could have gotten that same sort of Elvis kind of um, pass. But he didn't. He he's directing these very sort of serious, kind of dark films from his own experience, yeah. really. I do want to point out just a little fun fact. Mm -hmm. The United States of America has 50 states in it. 41 of those states allow some form of marriage Mm -hmm. of underage, under under 18. Right. Uh, And five states, including lovely sunny California in which we live, have no minimum age. So there's a lot of talk and then a lot of inaction on things that right. could actually stop these things. Also, I don't want to hear from anybody, and this, this is a hill I will die on. Do not call people who assault teenagers pedophiles. That is not what they are. That is a very is specific a, right. term. They are They are certainly assault. They are Statutory rape is rape, and that mm-hmm. is what he pled guilty to. Um, whether or not the person agrees... Right. It's not they are not able to make that um they're not able to make that decision, which is wild because they can make they can't make that decision, but they can sign a marriage certificate. Please explain that and make it make sense. But they are not attracted to children. Yeah. <laughs> that is not what is happening here. This um, girl went to this place pur- purported to be older than she was, probably not 18, but mm-hmm. older than she was and wanted to have sex and with somebody at this party. Right. Now, was that good? No. <laughs> but let's talk about how many... This is a party at Jack Nicholson's house that was standard. Yeah, Jack so, Nicholson was apparently out at the time. Yeah, he, he wasn't escaped. there. Angelica Houston was there. The girl's mother drove her to this mm-hmm. part of this, this photo shoot that he was doing. And I believe, uh, again, it's very confusing. Apparently, there were two separate photo shoots, so she had dealt with Robin before. Oh, okay. And then she, so this wasn't an unknown. No, no. First, okay. It's just I I don't know what to make of it. As it was recalling just now, there was a, a member of the clergy who every time you asked him a question that he didn't want to have to explain, he would just say these are deep waters. Yeah, and yeah. That's kind of what it that's feels what like it is. here. That, so we are going to wrap right. that conversation up. Exactly. You know, I am. There are some people who cannot uh, mm-hmm. remove the art from the artist. Uh, there are some artists that you just can't do that with. Because they'll represent what they want in your face. In, or in the face. Right, in your thoughts. face. Exactly. See Victor Salva. <laughs> see Quentin Tarantino. See Woody Allen. Uh, yeah, Hollywood is a cesspool in a lot of ways. That my, I'm not, and I'm not saying any of it is okay. We're going to talk about this film separate from Polanski as a person. Right. Um, where we talk about him, we are going to talk about him as a filmmaker solely as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. We understand if you don't want to listen to that, that's fine. Uh, and we respect that, and we will see you later. Okay. <laughs> but uh, we're now going to talk about Chinatown, a masterpiece. Yes, I was about to say that. The, the problem, a problem that I have, mm-hmm. 
specifically with the art and artist thing is a lot of times, yeah, like like we said, it's incorporated. Right. And also, it's not to my taste. Like, I cannot watch Woody Allen movies because I don't like Woody Allen movies. Like, I just, they're not for me. Mm. His films, like, they appeal to me just as films. Sometimes, I didn't even realize that this was a Polanski film until... We, I was doing the research after we had seen the movie. Right. I forgot he's in it, mm-hmm. but he's only in it. Well, John Huston's in the film. Scene. And it's not a John and, Huston yeah, movie. that's true. So, and he's only in the one very weird scene for him to be in. This is a masterpiece. The other one we're going to talk about, Rosemary's Baby, is a masterpiece. It's also a masterpiece. I am also a, not a fan of. Well, this white man is a genius, so he's going to get away with whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. I hate that. I hate it so much. So. Let's talk about Chinatown. This movie stars uh, Jack Nicholson. Uh-huh. <laughs> the aforementioned Jack Nicholson. And this was part of a great period of filmmaking. Talking about 1974. This right. Movie, right. So it was written between, I think, the, the period that I heard cited was 68 to 77 or something. Between Star Wars, or between the, the first of the big blockbusters, really. You got... Uh, and what, what is counted as 68? What is 68? I'm not, that was what, uh, oh, okay. I'm not sure. Like, I'm wondering what the kickoff is. But, so we're talking about Star Wars and Jaws on the far end. Right. Those are really the summer, at least summer blockbusters. Right, but the, this was the period that in the Godfather films. Okay. Or The Exorcist, which we're also going to see, or Dog Day Afternoon, or these, like, real hard-hitting dramas. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Deliverance would fall into that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Deliverance came out in 1972. Um, we're going to talk about that next mm-hmm. week. Right. Uh, this movie came out in 1974, starring Jack Nicholson and Faye Dun- Dunaway and John Huston. Everybody else can kind of go eh, over there. <laughs> it's those three. There are people, there are other people who mm-hmm. do good work in this movie, but it's those three. Yeah, everyone does good work, but yeah, those are the three that you remember. Um, the movie is uh, a little over two hours long. It didn't feel like it while we were watching it. We had to pause it at one point. It was 48 minutes in. I was like, I thought we were like 10, we, 15 we minutes had in. We packed so much story yeah. into those But without feeling... Minutes, without feeling like it was burdening you. Yeah. It, it really, really goes. Like, yeah. the pacing of it is very, very good. Uh, especially since, spoiler alert, of course, we're going to spoil this whole thing. It leaves you on a real unsatisfied note. Right. <laughs> like... This movie does not have a happy ending in any way, shape, or form. Like, it really does One doesn't. of the, the joys I had last night in reviewing material for this was watching a young uh, guy who's watching, who, you know, a reaction video, because I was curious about it. Oh, how about people, people like I want to watch people. this film for the first time. Yeah, I'm curious when you, before you say this, uh-huh. what did you, when did you see it for the first time? I saw it for the first time, oddly enough, when I was in... Um, I was taking film classes because our screenplay teacher handed us the screenplay to Chinatown and said, this is the greatest screenplay ever written. It's I, I would like to read the screenplay because I, I believe that that might be the case. Uh, Robert Town wrote right. the screenplay. Robert Town, who say? apparently wrote it when he was Jack Nicholson's roommate. I was going to say hairdresser because it's always a hairdresser. Right, right he now. was his roommate. <laughs> they, And he was very much a, an individualist in terms of writing screenplays. Robert Town wanted to write stuff that mattered, not stuff that was necessarily popular. And so uh, at the same time, uh, this is when Jack Nicholson is also just putting in the work, doing 15 years of work, grinding away with Roger Corman, doing everything from Little Shop of Horrors to some of the later Westerns that Corman was doing. And, um, And so it's written for 
Nicholson. This is right, which makes perfect sense. I will say this is mm-hmm. one of my favorite Nicholson performances. Right. He is not an actor I enjoy very much. Now, part of that is I came to him as he was an older actor, mm-hmm. and so I didn't. I feel like you gotta warm up to him. Like right. he's a lot, but he's not that much if you start with his early work and work your way up. Right. But if you start with like Witches of Eastwick, it's bananas. Oh, I, I, I saw him after the Joker, right? When right. when he carried the weight of being Jack Nicholson with him, mm-hmm. and um, and was largely hired in some ways, like Walken right. and Pacino are, to just do the thing that you just do the thing you do. Part of uh, what struck me watching him later on in life was understanding that I had been seeing him. All of my life. Like, yeah. all these matinee showings of The Raven and all these Roger Corman films yeah. that I saw as a kid. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, wait, that's Jack Nicholson? Yeah, I, I could not I have draw no... a connection between the two of them. Um, I've never seen Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. I feel like it's true, so it's true. Like, for all intents and purposes, if yeah. I don't remember, I didn't see it. I've never seen Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. I've never seen, like, I've not seen his younger stuff. This may be one, well, it's certainly one of the youngest I've seen him. Also, they he fil- he's filmed at a at a three quarter angle a lot in this movie, mm-hmm. which I think is his best angle. Like it's his sh- face on his his looks are very sharp and mm-hmm. kind of aggressive. Turn a uh, quarter one way or the other, and he looks like a quaid. <laughs> well, what um, the reason for that? The three quarter stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was uh, both. Robert Town, who wrote this entire this homage to uh, to Raymond Chandler. And okay, other yeah, LA it's kind just of, like I'm going to make L.A. Right. noir. I'm uh, going to make exactly that was. Yeah, I was going to say current, but no, this is set in the mm-hmm. '30s and based on a, a truce. Yeah, a tr- the names have been changed, but also like <laughs> Faye Dunaway's character is not a real no. like the crux of. The story mm-hmm. is not true, but the surrounding events yes, are true. It's That's about a true event. Yeah. Um, in that person built a dam, the dam broke. They need to get the water from somewhere, so they're siphoning it out from uh, the surrounding valley and sending it all off to L.A., and then they incorporate that valley into L.A. Right. It's oh, and they yeah they buy up that land right. and then it, then they're yeah then they're double it, rich. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. It's, oh, capitalism causing water to be right. Yeah, weird. Actually, capitalism is the real villain of China. Turns out, capitalism is the real villain to almost <laughs> everything. The idea behind that was uh, Plansky thought, having read the script and having read a good deal of Raymond Chandler, that you because it's written. From his point of view, yeah, he's only going to shoot scenes with Jack Nicholson. Them, you don't get scenes without his character. That's true. I scenes. didn't realize that. As so he fact, is in every right. scene of the movie. Because even when you want to stay with John Huston, right, you're not gonna. <laughs> no. So everything's taken from his point of view. Interesting. And so that's part of the reason why he shot sometimes over the shoulder, and you're following him all the time. For instance, when they discover uh, the body of Fedorenko's husband, yeah. You're literally following him on a on a camera down a hill. Yeah, and then he's uh, he's addressing the police and he's talking to them, and you're you're part of the conversation. But the idea was to make it as if you're just an observer or a metaphorical parrot on his shoulder. Yeah, which is why he gets a lot of that. We should say profile. this film is uh, 
it looks weird. Mm -hmm. um, at first I was like, oh, it's sepia, but it's not really that. It mm -hmm. has a very, it's got a smog cast to it. Right. Like it is like a yellow beige. Right. To cast over the entire thing. I thought it would dissipate after like the first few minutes. Nope. Mm -hmm. It lasts off the film. You were saying it was to capture the desert heat, which the is what LA, LA right. is, a desert. They keep saying we're near a desert. I'm like, you are a desert. You're right. just trying not to be, but you are a desert. And that was done intentionally. The, the first part, uh, photographer that they worked with, a cinematographer, wasn't quite capturing that. Mm -hmm. He was doing these sort of technicolor backgrounds. Um, and oh, yeah, that would be said that wild. He didn't want it to be in black and white, which was the first suggestion. Right. And no, so, because that feels too easy. Right. It's it's almost as if we're now going to make the film just one long homage. Yeah. And instead, his idea was to work with a cinematographer who can capture heat, because it's supposed to take place during a drought. During a drought. In the summer. In the summer. So the we, fact that... Okay. Never mind. Go ahead. No, I'll, it, I'll say it later. It looks very... So it looks... And I think it captures that effectively. It looks hot. Yeah. You're in all these brick and asphalt landscapes, and it's almost like you can feel how hot and uncomfortable it is for everybody. For sure. Um, I want to say, mm -hmm. or I want to, I want to ask one more question before we get into the sure. plot. Is the title racist? No. <laughs> okay. The Robert Town knew a cop who had worked in Chinatown. Okay. And the whole conversation that happens later in the film, what did you do in Chinatown as little as possible? Okay. Is based on that. Got you. So they are they're more turning that towards the cops than right. the location. It's, like saying, you didn't do anything because you didn't give a fuck about these well, people. Well the other thing is that he said that this guy the the Tom was saying that the person who was uh, describing Chinatown to him said, We couldn't get involved because we didn't know what was going on. Right, we don't speak the language, very, we don't understand right. the cultural norms, we don't... We don't. And on top of that, they also were very... They didn't want to interfere with the cops, and they didn't want the cops to interfere with them. Yeah. And he said, you don't want to wind up on the wrong side of the tongs either. Fair so enough, So between all yeah. of this, it was better to just sort of like maintain a general peace and... So it was sort possible. of like a... Just an area in the city that was like... Right. Not lawless, but... No, it kept itself lawful. Right. You were just there to give the appearance of law and order. Of law and order. But you weren't really going to interfere very much. <sighs> Look, we are over-policing uh, ethnic neighborhoods. Right. Since time immemorial. Yay, America. Um, that's really interesting. Because that was the thing. I was like, mm -hmm. are we assigning a a general rundownness yeah. or danger to right. Chinatown because... It's this other ethnicity, but no, it sounds no, like it isn't. Yeah. But I wanted to... No, yeah. Because no, it is a... He's very big on that because, he, you know, when the producer talk, was pitching this film too, it's like, well, it's about... It's called Chinatown, but it's not really about Chinatown. No. Chinatown's a metaphor. Yeah. For being in a situation where you don't know what's going on. Right. And just and trying to you, do you the best you can for and, everybody. And, yeah. And it's also meant to be, as, he, as Town put it, the failure of good intentions. You can try really hard to do the right thing and sometimes it just blows up. Which is... The, the culmination right. of the of the film. Okay, so we'll talk about Jake, mm -hmm. <laughs> Jake Gillis, Giddis, Giddis. Excuse me, I cannot fucking read this. Time. Jake Giddis. I'll be like uh, John Houston, who pronounces his name wrong on purpose. Um, 
who is a detective, former police, mm-hmm. current private detective, uh, bread and butter of uh, telling people, yep, your husband or your wife is in fact cheating on you. Click, click, click. Here's some pictures. Here's what I'm going to say about this character. His suits are amazing. Whoever did the costuming on this is should have gotten awards. I don't know if she did, or I assume it's a she. I don't know if they did, but he looks impeccable the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, he's hot as shit. <laughs> Although a good suit should allow breathability. Yeah. So, so he is uh, engaged by a woman to see if her husband is cheating. He follows said husband. This this is a this is a man who is famous. And also works in the Department of Water and Power. Right. So this is a different time. Right. He's an engineer who designed a dam that had previously an earthen dam, which they used to have back in the yeah. day, which had failed and killed quite a few people. Right. But and, he was also like mm, the head of the Department right. of Water and Power, uh, who was de- he was fighting back on building another dam mm-hmm. that's exactly the same because right. he's like, um, no, I'm going to go ahead and learn from my mistakes. Right. Uh, and so at the same time, his wife hires him to hires um, Geddes to hires Geddes to find out if he is uh, cheating. And Geddes had just watched um, another client just break down uh, after very, finding yeah, out, how... and he's like, "Do you love your husband? Then let it go. Just, just right. let you don't want to know." And he, she's like, "I do." And so he follows him, takes some pictures. He um, does see him with a young lady and takes those pictures. Um, And then he, those pictures are released in the paper. Yes, and he doesn't know who did this. Nope. And it's going to ruin his business. If you are a private investigator and you leak pictures of your clients or your clients' spouses, to the papers, you're not a private investigator anymore. That's not going to be a thing. Uh, and at his office, of course, we meet then the real Evelyn Mulray, played by uh, Faye Dunaway, mm-hmm. who we will see in like three weeks again, because we're going to watch Bonnie and Clyde. And uh, she's like, uh, so I never hired you. We can all agree. Uh, I will be suing you. Okay, Bye. And then he now has to figure out what happened. Right, because it's who really bad for business everything. for him yeah. to have... What he did was pers- pursue a guy on a fault, for a false, false client. Yeah, right. For a fault, yeah. First of all, yes. Right. He didn't ID this woman, didn't get any right. further information, just took her money and then took all these pictures. And then those pictures get least leaked to the New press. Papers. Like, right. he's done. He's done. He's, he's been kind of screwed over. So he goes back to the wife repeatedly and is like, no, we're going to try and figure this out because I can't, I cannot survive in this city if I don't figure it out. Like, also, I want to know, like, who, somebody did this to me. Right. Like, I was targeted here. Somebody sent me this woman. Somebody put me on his track. Somebody took my photos. Mm -hmm. Like, I am the one that was targeted here. Yes, Faye Dunaway's character is collateral damage in that, but... Uh, and then, you know, her and husband's she seems, dead. She's very... And this was a great part for her. In finding out about the making of the film, apparently they were all difficult to work with. 
Um, Polanski and, and Nicholson would get into it all the time, but they were good friends, so... Well, he were, was at our house three years later, so right, yeah. They were hysterical. <laughs> Apparently these stories about how uh, Nicholson flubbed a take because it was taking too long for Polanski to set up, and he runs back to watch a Lakers game on a TV set in his trailer. He loves the Lakers, has always loved the Lakers, will always love the Lakers, will probably have his ashes incorporated into the Lakers. Well, yeah, uh, and then Polanski is so furious because when he leaves the set, he messes up his shot that he's been setting up Is this hours. why he cast himself in the role that he cast himself <laughs> in? That's a possibility. But he picks up like a, a swing arm from a microphone or oh, something good grief. and beats the daylights out of this television set only to find out that it didn't belong to Lip Nicholson. He'd borrowed it from one of the other people on set. Also, contain yourself, And then dude. Nicholson says, well, I'm not going back to do your extra take, and literally rips his costume off. They're no. yelling at each other. This suit is so nice. And then he said later on, as Plansky's driving back to his house, he stops at a stoplight, and there's Nicholson in the car next to him, and they look at each other and burst out laughing. Like, yeah. Like, they, they had like, a temper tantrum. Like, day at work. But, Let's yeah. act like professionals And they now. both mentioned that, that as difficult as they were, Fade Anyway could be even more difficult. But the thing is that they said, no, she was absolutely 100% the right choice. They were looking, the producers wanted other women considered for the part. No, I think she was, a. I don't mm-hmm. particularly like her. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about her much more when we talk about Bonnie and Clyde. Right. I assume, I have not seen that movie, but I presume as a title character, I'm going to have more to say about her. Right. My latest introduction to her was when she forced Warren Beatty to fuck up the Moonlight <laughs> oh God, <yes>. um, <laughs> uh, Oscar she win. she was so snarky about she it. She was. And, and I'm just like, this is her. This she, isn't on him. Yeah. He's he's looking at this thing going, I might be old. Right. Um, and I may not be able to see very well, but this doesn't seem right. right. And she's just like, you're an idiot. And yanks it out of his hand. And then I'm just like, ma'am. Right. I mean, that's <laughs> and I always, that is the that is like the the thing that is seared in my head, and I'm like, well, you didn't just become like this. You, this is who you are, and I don't like. It. I, I think that um, apparently producers were looking at other people for her uh-huh. and the or the money people, and the uh, I I think it was uh, Robert. Uh, wasn't it? Wasn't it Robert, Robert Evans insisted on? Oh, her, the producer, yeah. Uh, taking the part, and he said, "Yeah, she was perfect, and she does a great job." She does. She looks like she's been broken and put together, broken and put together a lot. Yes, and and, and that is um, that's very important that for this. her. Um, for her character. Sorry, I was just scrolling down to see. She was nominated. He was nominated. Polanski was nominated. Yeah, only one. It was nominated for, looks like, 11 Academy Awards. Right. Um, and won, won, won for writing. Uh, Nicholson won a Golden Globe. Polanski uh, won uh, director and Town won screenplay uh, at the Golden Globes. But, yeah, it was very popular. At the Academy Awards, but came in. I'm I'm gonna look and see who won all those. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was one movie that right. yoinked everything away from that. But she is very good at this. But yeah, generally she, as an actress, yay. As a person, she mm-hmm. winds up trying to almost like beg 
get us off the case, but yeah. he wants to pursue it. But he has to pursue it as a homicide right. because he needs, like, he needs, he can't. Well, a homicide happens after that where you find out that her husband's dead. Now. Her husband's dead. Yeah, no, I thought we were already there. Right. Um, oh, because he disappeared. That's right. right. And so he's looking for him and he does, um, he finds out that a bunch of water is being released into the sea uh-huh. in the middle of a major drought, which and is right. a problem. And at that point, he, this man... Gets the first of several beatings. Right, but also, if you see a keep-out sign, this uh-huh. motherfucker is not going to keep no. out. And if you tell him to stay put, he will not be staying put. He cannot. He is... He you is, wonder how he ever survived in Chinatown all that time if he's not getting his nose... Well, the keep-out signs were not written in, in a language you can read. So he didn't know he, was vi- he wasn't violating them. Yeah, he just... Fuck a fence, fuck a locked door. Right. <laughs> like he, if you can, if you can go, if you, if he could see the other side, he was going to get there. It was bananas. Um, so he jumps out of there. Is this right? When mm-hmm. is this when his little? Okay. So Polanski has a cameo, cameo in this movie, wherein he and a much bigger man because Polanski is very small. Basic. They don't attack. Mm-hmm. They attack him. They back him up against the fence, and then Polanski. Basically, is like, you know, if you're nosy, this is what happens to you. And he cuts, like he puts a knife inside of Nicholson's nose, and then just cut, just cut, just cuts it. Right. <laughs> and so, for most of this movie, uh, Nicholson has either a bandage on his face or a huge red, angry right. wound on the side of his nose. It was a really good makeup job, mm-hmm. unless somebody did something <laughs> to him, which. Wouldn't be entirely surprising. Um, so he now has... Uh, uh, and then in that same place that he was investigating um, and seeing the water sluicing out, um, they find Hollis Mulray's body. That is the husband and head of the water department that we've been talking about. And now he has to treat it as a homicide. Everybody else wants to treat it as a suicide because yeah. he was outed as having an affair in the in the it's papers. also we should mention very quickly it's being uh, investigated by his old partner his old partner escobar, escobar. Who, who was uh, who gives him a little leeway which i like the fact that why is the cop trusting the, the private detective well they used to work together that is always the case mm-hmm. there is always one friendly on the police force right. Or the PI doesn't get anywhere. Like, right, you exactly. have to have that to be a successful PI. And almost always, it's an ex-partner. <laughs> like, this is trope. It's fine, uh-huh. but it's a trope. Um, or he's like, why are you why are you getting rid of this water when we're in a drought? And the, the response that is given by the water department, I believe, is, well, we're funneling a little bit into the valley because we've seen some orange farmers and some other farmers from the valley who are losing their livelihood because their water is being diverted into Los Angeles city, the city. Um, They're saying, Oh, well we're going to, we're giving them some water to sort of mitigate the hatred and damage that could be done. Mm -hmm. And um, there's just, there's one off from that, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but he's like, okay. And then, yeah, he goes and talks to the people at the water department, which is when he sees that uh, the Mulray, the decedent, and um, we know, because we know Dunaway's, Faye Dunaway's 
maiden name, mm-hmm. her father, these two men, at one time owned <laughs> the Department of Water and Power. They, somebody, this is a true thing, somebody owned the water of L.A. One or two people owned the water for a city. And I just, what? What? And he is sort of, he is sort of like, what do you mean one person owned the water of LA? So they formed this department, right? They mm-hmm. were running it together. They had a fallout. Um, probably after the dam, I think. Probably Yes, after the dam. And as far as, what's her name? I keep calling her Faye Dunaway. Evelyn. Evelyn. That's right. As far as Evelyn knows, or that they had not spoken in a number of years. But while Geddes was taking pictures, click, 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 some of the pictures that he took were of an argument between those two men. Right, that was Geddes's, like, his, his, he has two guys on his staff. He does. And the guy who was the photographer apparently just took pictures but couldn't overhear the conversation. Right. So we can't quite, we don't know we what don't they were We don't know, but at. they looked heated. Right. Also, he has a cool technique when he doesn't want to hang out. He puts like a little pocket watch underneath the tire right. of the of the person that he's trailing so that he can see when they leave a place. Right, because they'll run over it and break and it's it. It's crushed, and then his guys go out and scoop it, which is like a really cool idea. I'm curious about how much those watches cost, because that's a one and done on those. But I'm sure it's, it's mm. a, he expenses it to his clients. So they go, so he's like, okay, great. I'm going to go check out uh, some orange groves. And he drives out to see if they're being watered. And are they? First of all, he is accosted again by the farmers and uh, his car is destroyed and he is beaten senseless. And what does he learn? By a one-legged man and and his his crutch. His gigantic (laughs) friend, too. Yeah, they. She. He eventually, because he's working for Evelyn at this point. Yeah. Um, She's hired him. Like she gives him a dollar or whatever. She like, shows like, up because they find that information in his wallet once they've knocked him unconscious. Right. And she has to come in. You know, she effectively comes and rescues him. But what does he find out at the orange grove? He finds out at the orange at the orange grove that the that there's somebody buying up all the land. Yeah. And like. It. And, like, poisoning their wells and stuff so that they'll be forced to sell. Sound familiar, Monsanto? I'm just saying. Um, Yeah. And on the way back, they stop at an elderly folks' home, as they used to call it, and find that the people who were on this list of owners that he got from the water department, or the, um, I guess it was. Yeah. uh, The list of owners that he had uh, discovered who own all this property now. Yeah are actually taken right off the board at this old folks home. Yeah, which he knows because, uh, oh, he'd gotten a call from the actress. Mm-hmm. She was a sex worker, too, I believe, right. who was hired to be to play Evelyn at the beginning. Right. Diane Ladd is the actress, actually, turns out. Um, the mom of Laura Dern, no. Oh, okay, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's right. So Diane, Laura Dern's mom not look like her at least not in this her name is ida sessions and she calls a couple of times and one of those times she says did you see the obituary column uh one of your answers is right there mm-hmm. and so when he reads this list he sees one of those names where that man was and they do they go visit this yeah. um this retirement home and 
they, it's a very good scene because he's like, he's throwing out, he says he needs that, um, he needs to put his father in a home, but he throws out all of these questions that are open-ended so that he can respond uh-huh. favorably to whatever the the people say. And one of the things is um, they don't allow people of the Jewish persuasion. And he says it in such a way where the the man is like, oh, no, we don't. And he's like, great. My dad doesn't like them either. Like, it's, it's, it's very funny. But they see the names of these other people and he goes and actually talks to one of the women and is like, oh, did you know you're a very rich woman? And she's like, no, you know, my husband had some money in the past. Like, it's very clear that somebody is stealing the identity of these right. people to buy this land. Uh, we we know who, but we're not going to get there yet. Now, I can't remember if this if he had met dear old dad at this point. I believe he had... Noah Cross. At some point, yeah. Mm. Either this day, I think he had. At this point, right. At this, yeah, by this point. He had gone out to his ranch or whatever. Mm-hmm. Evelyn's father and her husband's business partner is John Houston, who's a giant man with a cool-ass voice and who is extremely menacing in the two scenes we get with uh, him. Two and a half, kind of. Yeah. Kind of climax. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, he is really... I mean, you'll remember him from such films as Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which we've yeah. already covered. And also, he directed The Maltese Falcon. Oh, that's right. It was yes. his first film. I mean, he's a... Yes. He's, so, and he is of the Houstons, see right. Angelica and Danny right now. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. So so he's uh, he's playing her, you know, very father. wealthy father yes. who is used to getting everything that he wants. And he's... every He, he plays it... This is a man who used to own the water of L.A. Like, we talk about how Elon Musk is like, Mm -hmm. but this is also like... Right, Elon Musk is... He still has some sort of attempts at passing himself off as a human being. Yeah, no, Um, this man is less than... He's full dragon. Yeah, he's totally... And and very much like, I'll tell you what I do because... There's nothing you can do to me. Yeah, I am... Beyond, beyond. You can shoot and a person in the middle of the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it sounds familiar. Um, so he has met him, but mm-hmm. he doesn't know the depth that we're talking about. Um, so after she picks him up from the Orange Grove, and they go to the retirement home, then they go to her house, and they have sex, because of course they do. Although, I will say, I hate this less than I usually do. <laughs> Because I almost always hate it when I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Ruin your any professionalism you have by fucking your client, your subject, your fucking right. source, whatever it is. I hate it so much. I hate it when it's a man doing it to wi- with women. I hate it. I hate it more when it's a woman doing it with a man because we already have it hard enough with you slept your way to the top when you fucking do right. shit. Like it hurts my feelings. So they have sex. And they seem to genuinely, genuinely like each other. Now, she also just literally just lost her husband. Like, she was still wearing black. Mm-hmm. And a fucking little black fascinator covering her little face. Because she's in mourning. Because her husband died six and a half minutes ago. Like, what? I do want to say real quick. Rance Howard was the farmer. That's Ron Howard's dad. Oh, really? Yeah. And then we should say her staff 
because she's rich too because her dad's rich. Get it? Also, her husband was... Right. He was the other half of his partnership. Yes, they, they had a huge amount of money. The staff is all Chinese. And their their butler is, is, is James Hong. Yes. Looking the same. <laughs> like he And we love him. He's so serious in this. Right. So, like mad and serious. I'm like, but you're so nice and funny. Anyways, so I just wanted to share that real quick because that's important later. Mm-hmm. So they they sleep together and then she gets a phone call where that like totally fucks her up. And she's like, I gotta go. And like, stay here, but I gotta go. I gotta bounce. And he's like, the hell? First of all, you told me to stay here. So there's no fucking way I'm going to do that because I am physically incapable of being in a place that you demand and that anyone demands it's of like me. He's got the jimmy legs. He needs to go. This has to go. So he, she gets in the shower and he gets, grab, grabs his clothes and heads out. But he doesn't head that far because he does trail her to another house. I think there are two houses, and I right. There's her big palatial estate, and there's this. Oh, other that's house like that, the like a cross right. estate situation, and then her house. Right. So she goes back to her house. Which is just a regular just, bungalow. I mean, that's a and nice house, it's but LA, it's not. Right? Yeah. So it's like one of these is a an and estate staff and the there. Other right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's certainly, I don't know if it would go mansion, but it is certainly mm-hmm. yes. a very nice, very large house with staff, right? And he looks in through a window and sees the young lady that Hollis was pictured with, that mm-hmm. he saw Hollis with, Hollis being her husband. I mean, I don't know if we said that. Hollis Mulray is the the decedent. And it looks to him from where he's standing like she is tied up to a bed. She's very upset. And it looks like she's being basically drugged by mm-hmm. Evelyn. Now he's outside of a window, can't I care? Right. This is what he has come to the um, conclusion of. He confronts her, basically. He's right. like, I'm going to turn you in because... If I don't, like, I think you killed your husband. I think you're holding her hostage. I think you set me up, and I'm not having any of it. And then there is the famous, the famous scene. He wants to know who this woman is. And she said, and she is basically, she, she starts by saying it's her daughter. Right. And then he presses her, and I don't know if it's the same scene. I don't think so. It's a later scene, but not that much later. Although this movie goes at a clip, so it might be a lot later. Where he's like, I need you to stop lying to me. You got to tell me the truth. And then the, the scene is tough to watch, not just because of her admission, mm-hmm. but because he is slapping the shit out now, of her. And, and as that's it interesting is because generally, I forgot that that I, was. What I don't like seeing that um, because it's done with so little justification. Yeah, generally. Um, I don't know that there's much Not that there's justification here. in this scene, but the idea is that he's been beaten up, he's mm-hmm. been nicked in the nose, he's almost been killed, he's nicked been shot at. That is a nice way to say it. Right? <laughs> he's been shot at. Yeah. And it's, it's he thinks at this point that she might be responsible for, for all, all of it. it. Yeah, that's true. So at the, he, he's lost it, and the funny thing is that Nicholson kept pulling his punches with her, so to speak. Yeah, because he, like, he doesn't want... Her but, and, but the he got oh no like Faye Dunaway told him to you stop it. it just slap me slap me you can do it just because slap. the thing is the scene doesn't work if it's, he's right doing it's that. too tight a close up to fake it yeah no so he does it and he says I was really you know I didn't want to hurt her but yeah she's saying if you don't do this it's not going to sell we're going right. to try to fake slap me all day long it's not going to work 
But um, but yeah, as much as I didn't like it, it's I, like DiCaprio apologizing repeatedly to right. Sam Jackson because he was like, "I don't want to be calling you the N word, but Quentin Tarantino is making me." <laughs> but yeah, I, I think in that scene though, it's not justifying it certainly, but it's almost he has reached a breaking point. Yes, it's like he thinks that she's trying to kill him at least yeah, twice. Now. Fair enough. Um, so she says, "She's my sister." No, he he has heard that she has said that she's my daughter, uh-huh. and then here she says she's my sister, and he slaps her, uh-huh. and then he says she's my daughter, and he slaps her again, and this goes on like four or five times. It's a lot, and then like he like kind of hears what's happening, uh-huh. and is like, oh, I gotta stop hitting her because she uh-huh. is telling me something very real right now, um, and it's and she also the character, the the other interesting sort of twist to the slapping is that character wants to be beaten like she feels she's got the guilt on this which is wild but that's what happens to victims he's shoving her around at that point but he's like i want she's like i want to be punished for what i'm saying to you right now even though it is not her fault her fault in any way although she has guilt around other pieces Mm -hmm. of her so he and thank god I was like, if he thinks that, like, she seduced her dad or whatever, I'm going to be pissed. He immediately goes, he raped raped you. Right. Which also, and this is a tribute to his skill as an actor. You can see so many things in his face when he realizes what she's saying. Yep. He takes a step back. Right. He gives her space. He, like, I think he might put his hands, like, Yeah, he's more ashamed of having slapped her. Because now he's like, okay, all these pieces are now, they're all falling into place. Right. And it's, everything that's happened so far is making sense. It's making All sense, yeah. So immediately, he raped you. And then we hear, I was 15, I was sent away, mm-hmm. I couldn't look at her, so I gave her to somebody else to raise. Right. Now, I want a relationship with her. Hollis knew, mm-hmm. um, which is what they were fighting about in that photo. Um, they, she had said earlier they were fighting about me, but she didn't explicitly right. say what. And we still don't know... But Hollis was was taking her out either as a daughter or as a um, sister, sis, as a, a yeah, as a sister in law. One of the I don't know what we don't know what he right. knew, but he knew she was related to his wife, and it was a familial mm-hmm. thing. And she's young, right? Um, she's probably fifteen, sixteen, somewhere around there. Yeah. Because Faye Dunaway's character can't be more than thirty. No, she had her when she was when 15, she's fifteen. So, right. Yeah, it would be about that. Age. Yeah. So she wants to take her daughter, take her money, get the fuck out. They, they're they going to go to Mexico, I yeah. think, right? Um, away, as far away, it's not very far away from L.A., but well, as far away from her dad. In the 1940s, you could still go to Mexico and Fair disappear. Enough. Fair enough. He had gone, I know what happened. He had gone to the estate, mm-hmm. and he saw the, the gardener, the Chinese gardener out, who had said the last time he saw him, um, bad for glass. Right, of the pond. That of he the had. pond. And he goes, I know, bad for glass. And he goes, yes, uh, salt water, bad for 
bad for glass. And so right. it turns out he's saying bad for grass, which is with the Chinese accent, right. which I was like, is that racist? But then I'm also like, well, that is, the sound R's are not in their language. He's like, wait, what do you mean? And he goes up and he tastes the water, which is wild because you should be able to smell it. I'm like, well, do not put considering that. Considering what happened in that water yes, tasting, it's not a good idea. what had happened was Hollis was found with salt water in his lungs. Right. And when he had gone to the morgue, he saw seen that there was another guy, which is what led him yeah. originally to find that sluice. Yes. That's um, right. Uh, the where they're just ejecting water, yeah, uh, to create the artificial situation of a drought, right? So that he, I mean, can, it's hot as hell, but at the it. same time, there is water to be had. There is, yeah. So, and so the presumption was that then he was killed because he didn't die elsewhere and then go, you know, mm-hmm. get swept into the water because so, he wouldn't have water in his right. lungs. And he sees a pair of glasses and he picks those glasses up. And and that's what he confronts Evelyn with. And right. that is when they have the big emotional scene and he finds everything out. And then as she's walking away from the scene, she's like, Those are my those aren't hit Hollis's glasses. And he's like, How do you know that? She's like, Those aren't his and I thought it was gonna be like a he doesn't wear gold or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we, that's not what it is. It's that he doesn't wear bifocals. And at that point it's like click, click, click. Right. <laughs> right? So Geddes knows now that Cross killed mm-hmm. uh, Mulray. He knows that Cross raped his daughter. Um, she has informed him that he wants contact with the girl, mm-hmm. and she is like, fuck this to is, the no, she, because is, you're the same age that I was when he attacked me. We're right. not doing he, that. Um, Noah Cross has been manipulating this from the very beginning. Yeah. As a way of finding out where his granddaughter slash daughter is. Yeah. For his, I'm sure, for his uses. Um, And he is confronted then Mm -hmm. by Giddis. Um, And he has an excellent, I wanted to find the quote, the line reading. It's, uh, yeah, I have it here. Go ahead. So, no, uh, why are you doing it? You, how much better can you eat? Which is, again, the attacking capitalism. Right. How, what could you buy that you can't already afford? It's the future, Mr. Giddis. Now, where's the girl? I only want, I want the only daughter I've got left. As Which you found out... his daughter, like, Faye right. Dunaway's character is still alive at this point. Right, as you found out, Evelyn was lost to me a long time ago. And Giddis goes, why do you blame her? For, why do you blame her for that? Her. And Noah Cross says, I don't blame myself. You see, Mr. Giddis, most people never have to face the fact that at the right time or at the right place, they're capable of anything. Yep. And that's, and that's I'm like, like horrifying. You're <laughs> capable of anything because you're a psychopath. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. It is, but the line reading on it is spectacular. It is one of the creepiest things I've ever seen <laughs> yeah. on film. And it's like, it's an old man talking. There's no, there's no, it's just right. And this that. is an old man who, this character, who is, has everything he could conceivably want, yeah. which is what Giddis is pointing out to him. You have everything. Mm-hmm. Why do you need so much more? Why do you need this girl? Why do you, you could do anything you want. Yeah, but, to the point where, yeah, right before uh, that, he's like, well, how much are you worth? And and Cross says, I have no idea. How much do you want? Right? Because he thinks that he's mm-hmm. wanting to be paid off. And he goes, I just want to know what you're worth. More than $10 million? And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's fucking chump change, right? Like, And this is... And this is 1930-something money. Is like, that when um, 
when uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson did There Will Be Blood yeah. years later, he and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, Daniel Day-Lewis 100%. built their performance around, like, this is the ancestor of wow. the Cross. Wow, yep, 100%. I can see that immediately. The inflection of his voice, you know, the, the, trying to recreate that character, which I thought was really amazing. It's like, wow, okay, I can see that, too. Yeah. So now he's put everything together, uh-huh. uh, and he calls Lou, and he's like, meet me at her house, she's going to run, or mm-hmm. whatever, and I'll, I'll catch her. Oh, no, he says, because at one point he says, she's at whatever place, and then mm-hmm. he goes, and it's actually um, his original right. the guy first, from the beginning. The fake Mrs. Mulray calls him. Right. right. And she goes, are you alone? And he's like, aren't we all? Like, yeah, right, because he is absolutely not, yeah. He's done with this. Goes over to her house, and she's, you know. That's right, yes. And Escobar's there. That's right. And that's when they trap him and go, That's okay, right, they're like, why are you here? What's right. going on? Why is she the one? Like, why did she have your number, this, that, and the other? Um, they, yeah, they get him in the car, and mm-hmm. he's like, I think she's here. And then they go there, and he goes in. Well, let, he says, let me bring her out. You know, she's not armed. She's not, I'm like, first of all, how do you know she's, that's a wild thing, but. How do you know she's not? Turns out she is armed. (laughs) Later. Um, And she is, uh, and then he, like, it's the the very first. Burt Young. Burt Young. Polly. He, yeah, that's right. He, um, he's there. His wife answers the door. Like I said, big black eye. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Like a bunch of kids around the dinner table. And he, like, sort of leads him out the back. And he's like, no, come with me for just a second. Hey, I need a ride. And he gets a ride out out of there so that he can get away from Escobar. Then he has the whole confrontation. He understands what's happening. And then he calls Escobar and is like, meet me at her place. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, he's there already. And he goes and she's packing everything up. Like the, everything's getting covered. There's, um, you know, baggage. And she's like, I'm taking her and I'm going to Mexico. I can't wait anymore. I gotta leave. And he's like, I mean, yeah, that seems right, but don't you don't have time. <laughs> like, I called the popo, and they are on the way. So uh, grab her. What is your maid's address? And he gets, because she lives in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets the maid's address. He goes, go there. I will meet you there at such and such time. And then he sort of leads them around. He takes, he, he, he knows that they're going to arrest him if they show up, and she's not there. Right. Um, so they do take him in. He leads them around. Like he, well, he's also made arrangements with Burt Young's character. Yeah, that's right. To, because he's a fisherman. That's right. To run her across the border in that's his right. boat in the middle in of the night. In his boat in the middle yeah. of the night, right. So he's got her set up, and she gets, I guess she sends her, or he sends her off and then confronts Cross. Mm-hmm. Then cross has his goonies or his goons mulhill is the big one mm-hmm. uh, basically take the bifocals from Giddis. um he's got a gun pointed at him he's uh and they they force him into a car to take him where to where evelyn is um the police are already there and they grab him because they're like right. you ran from us and now you're ours like, i don't give a fuck who this rich person is police police i'm taking you and so he's like handcuffed at this point uh, and then it's like, it's really fast all the way down. So Evelyn is on the way out. She's getting into the car. Catherine, her daughter, mm-hmm. her sister, 
uh, is also getting into the car. Noah Cross tries to get her attention, tries to take her. Right. He's a, I gotta say, John Houston is a big dude. <laughs> like, Angelica Houston is 6'1 for a reason. Like, they're big people, and he, and, and the Faye Dunaway and the girl who plays Catherine are oh, not. not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she tries, to, he tries to take her, and at that point, Evelyn, like, has had it, mm-hmm. and pulls out a gun and shoots her father and her rapist. She hits him because he makes a. Yeah, she like, hits him, but she's using. But it's like in the shoulder. A Derringer, it's the smallest it's the gun you've gun, ever seen. Right. And then she gets in the car and she tries to drive away, mm-hmm. and the police open fire and they kill her. Pr- probably pretty early in the. Mm-hmm. Like they're firing a lot. Right. Um, and at, some, at one point. Which makes just, it tragic because it's almost as if she's so desperate that she's already dead and she's still and trying she's to still, get away. Yes. Um, and you, then you hear the horn hog, mm-hmm. and the car goes to uh, comes to a stop. They all run down. They open the door. She is very dead. Mm-hmm. Catherine is screaming because she's like, "What the fuck?" And now both of the people who I guess she understands as her parents or something—I still don't know what right. she's been told. Probably that that's her mother, and she was too young to take care of her. That's mm. probably the story that they went with. So she's screaming, she's screaming, and the the second most upset. No, it might be the more upsetting than the 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 line that he reads earlier. Houston comes up behind her. Um, she's they're in a convert, basically a convertible. Mm. Um, and he comes up behind her, and he put he puts his hand over her this face. Catcher's kind of a it's hand. So it's wild. And yeah. she first he covers like her nose and mouth, mm-hmm. and then she he moves it up to cover her eyes because the idea is don't look, you don't want right. to look at that. And then he ushers her away. That's the last thing we see of them. Right, and, and also what's interesting is that, like you mentioned with the nose thing, the makeup is really good. Yeah. Evelyn is shot through the eye. Yeah. And it's horrifying because it's very convincing looking. Yeah. And so you've seen Faye Dunaway done up with this very kind of very careful right. beauty shot. And then all of a sudden it's just destroyed. like there's a huge vacant yeah. hole in her head. And then Giddes wants to go after him mm-hmm. and Escobar un is un like unhandcuffing him because right. he is seeing all this come together and it's like, oh, I don't know what's happening, but I'm pretty sure this dude right. is not part of it um and he wants to go after right. noah and Catherine, and uh escobar turns him away and he's like what does he say let it go jake it's well it's, a, it's it's one of his associates oh Walsh. it's not escobar right. okay he was like forget it jake it's chinatown forget it jake it's chinatown and that's it that's the end of the right. movie there is no positive resolution no. for anyone in this movie and except noah cross noah cross got everything he fucking wanted well, that's so originally Robert Towns' screenplay. There's a couple of different stories about it. The one that he tells is that yes, in the end, it's supposed to be Evelyn shoots and kills Noah. That would have, I even uh, if he doesn't die, I needed him to be more wounded than he was. Right. But also shoot him in the fucking head. If you have a small gun, mm-hmm. shoot him in the face. But so he has a big head. Right. <laughs> and so the, another Robert Towns mentioned. Uh, in one interview I saw, well, we had it so that in the end, she shoots him, and even when they're handcuffing her, she runs and she kisses Jake, and then it suddenly begins to rain and the drought is over. I hate that. It sounds like a Bollywood movie. It does. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And then no. we all began to dance. I don't need full resolution. I'm actually okay 
if she mm-hmm. kills her father right. and they kill her. Right. Well, Which would have been so still pretty the, fucking the terrible. The was written over with Robert Town, but Polanski sat there with him, and apparently they just sort of, like he would come over his house, and they would just sit and work on this. Hammering it out, and they have. I mean, it's huge. a it's very well lit, right? And like I said, the pacing in it is yeah immaculate. There's a lot of issues with uh, or huge fights that they were having, right? So they're having issues with each other at the same time, coming to you know an agreement. Okay, this will work, that won't work, and for the longest time, Robert Town really hated the ending until he saw it again, and goes, "Okay, that's completely the way that it should work. That's the reason why you remember it because it's." She definitely needs to die. That was Polanski's whole sticking point. Like it can't be good guys uh, triumph. It wouldn't. The movie wouldn't be special. It wouldn't be memorable. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a classic. Like it just wouldn't. It'd just be another noir movie. That's like. But to not to to not have like to have him, to have Noah Cross in possession of this girl. Mm Is so deeply upsetting yeah. to me. Now, again, something that we talked about this morning when we were discussing it is it was intended to be part the first part of a trilogy. A trilogy, right. And so the second part would have gone into recovering the girl. And in the third part, I'm not sure what town was had in plan for that. And there was a version of that made, the two Jakes, but it really had to stray from the script because so much time had passed between the first and second film. And Jack Nicholson directed that himself. Uh, but she's she's a character in the second film. Catherine, uh, her Catherine. name is Catherine. So, yeah, you, you're robbed of the idea that, that you're ever going to find out what happens to that girl when you're just taking this film on its own. But his whole idea was people don't get caught. People don't get, you know, the good guys don't always win. And it's foreshadowed very early in the film when Faye Dunaway sleeps with uh, Jack Nicholson's character. Yeah. Uh, she's asking him questions, and he doesn't want to talk about his time in Chinatown. Yeah, and he he, says, well, he's try- she's legitimately trying to get to know him. Like, right. it, that's one of the reasons that I didn't hate their mm-hmm. hookup as much as I normally do because I'm like, oh no, she really genuinely, even if it's a trauma response, right. and this person feels safer than anybody else around her, she does genuinely feel something. Right, and she's asking questions, and he says, well, there was a situation in Chinatown where. And was there a woman involved? Yes. And you try to get her out of there? Yes. And then it just sort of fell to pieces. Yeah. Which is exactly... And then uh she said, did she die? And and then the phone rings before he can answer that question. And that is some foreshadowing. Right. And this this is this guy's... But she doesn't even say, did she die? She said, she died, I think. Like... She knows, like, she doesn't really need the confirmation. She can see on him right. there, there's what it is. There's a whole complexity to not just the film, but this town really knew Nicholson. Yeah. And he says a lot of him goes into that. There's a scene early in the barbershop where the guy sitting in the barbershop, uh, or the, the chairs ne- next to him getting worked on, uh, says something, makes some sort of disparaging comment about Guinness's yeah. profession, yeah. and he gets genuinely angry. Mm-hmm. And when Towns asked because about this, because he believes that he is a good person doing the best work right. that he can do, which is why he tries to wave off the Evelyn that presents right, herself exactly. at the beginning. He's like, "I am tired of ruining marriages." And Towns said, "That's Jack. That's Jack struggling to go to auditions and people telling him, you know, you're not a great looker. Why don't you try some honest work? You know, you're not a handsome guy. You're not Clark Gable. You should try going out and getting some honest work. You know, you could do." Th- 
And are they his, saying that acting is dishonest work? That's what that's they're telling him. Wild, that's, as they are casting, right. wild. As, and he says, when I saw Jack like getting confronted with that, I knew that I had to find a way of having a scene where he's like, no, I'm standing up for myself. And that that's part of the, re- the, the reason why that works like, so well. I am. Because right. that's what he keeps saying. I am. You know, I do honest work. And the fact also that this character and why you'd want to see what happened to him, you know, I would want to have seen a trilogy about it. Yeah, him. there is a yeah. follow-up directed, right. you said by um, by Jack Nicholson, uh-huh. uh, that is not apparently very good. It's it's not comparative to this. No, no. I guess it's a good movie, but it's not this. It's not this. Yeah, he's a guy who has like Raymond Chandler's character, uh, Marlowe, has a sense of honor. Yeah. I mean, he's always excusing himself for saying inappropriate things in front of... There is a there is a scene in this where he sends his secretary, who's adorable and looks like Betty Boop, out into the hallway because he wants to tell a dirty joke. The joke that the barber just used to just pacify tell, yeah. him from getting into it with um, the guy in the, the barber Which joke. is a bit of a racist yes, joke. Um, not even just a bit. It's a racist joke. Although you could... The thing about that joke is you could plug in right. any ethnicity. ethnicity. In this case, it happened to be Chinese people because right. thematically. And then... And they're the two people who he's talking to are trying to wave him off. And he's like, let me finish the joke. Let me finish the joke. Which he had sent. He did not want to tell this joke in mixed company. And then, of course... As soon as he finishes the joke, as he's laughing to himself and his friends are not laughing, <laughs> he's like, cool. And he turns around and Faye Dunaway is right there. And this is their first meeting. Right. This is right when she's like, I'm going to sue your ass. <laughs> also, I am not who you hired. Right. So. You, we've never met before? Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm Evelyn. I'm Evelyn. Yeah. I don't know who you spoke to. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a really, the writing of this film is amazing. There's a lot of really funny lines. There's some lines, that, frankly, that are... There, it, I was laughing. I was like, notes, the detective goes, you know, what happened to your nose? Somebody, uh, somebody slammed a bedroom window on it, and his response is, no, your wife got excited. She crossed her legs a little too quick. Yep, and then he tries to hit her. I'm like, why are you... <laughs> you do you don't want to get hit in the face again? Right? He's just like, he can't help himself. He's going to be a smart ass just, at that's every single opportunity. So, that's... Chinatown. I will say I looked up the Academy Awards. It was nominated 11 times. Uh, It was tied for nominations by the winner of many of those awards, which is The Godfather Part Mm. 2. So uh, that one, picture, director, uh, supporting actor, and best adapted screenplay as well as some other things. They won six awards. Faye Dunaway was beaten for Best Actress by Ellen Burstyn from Alice, or in Alice Doesn't oh, Live Here Anymore. That's interesting. And uh, Jack Nicholson was beaten. the The actor list mm-hmm. this season or this this year, uh, Art Carney won for Harry and Tonto, Albert Finney for Murder on the Orient Express, Dustin Hoffman for uh, playing Lenny Bruce. Mm-hmm. And Al Pacino in The Godfather Part 2. That was the best okay. actor nominees. And then Jack Nicholson, obviously. This 74 is a pretty pretty banger year for film. I would say that this movie definitely is thrilling and definitely feels in the right place on yeah. this list. It's number 16. It's what I would consider a thriller, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not... It's It's got some violence, but it's not all violence right. all the time. It's got... 
a very sort of intricate plot, but it's easy to follow. And they're really, without being like exposition heavy, they really do hold your hands well, to let you know what's what. I like what. the fact that you do not know that the full particulars of Jake Guinness's, you know, where he worked or where he yeah. learned his craft, or you learn that about half an hour into the film. Yeah. It's just dropped casually. Oh, you know, Escobar used to work with me in Chinatown yeah. or whatever. Yeah. That's how you find out. Yeah. And the details of his career go on from there. No one's sitting there declaring themselves. But also there's there's a lot of history mm-hmm. present in his actions and his right. manner. But it's a lot of it is just a, basically a big question mark where you're just like, what what happened to him where that's what he does? Right. What I, you know what I mean? You never hear about whatever happened with the girl who mm-hmm. died previously. Right, you don't. You just don't. And, you and know so, that something happened, but so you don't know what. I think that works in that, that same quality that you mentioned, that he just cannot sit still. He's going to go poking around, whatever. If you've been told you're drawing an easy paycheck, just hang around Chinatown, don't touch... No, he's going to get involved. He's going to. He's a nosy for the kind same of reason that yeah. he doesn't like to be talked about as... Mm-hmm. Less than in the right. PI world, he he takes pride in his work, whatever his work is, right. and so he's going to do work. He's not going to just yeah. twiddle his thumbs and play solitaire. Like, yeah, that's an easy check, but it's a real. It's not him. It's not a fulfilling life yeah. for this character. Right. So yeah. yeah. So no, I agree. Come. This was this is one of the best films ever made. I when I'm looking at. And this is back when people would spend a year polishing a screenplay. Yeah. And then the director comes in and works with a guy and polishes it for another couple of months. Yeah. And so in the end, it's not... Yeah, it originally was 180 pages, right. and it had a bunch of uh, voiceover by mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson, which would have been fucking terrible, and I'm so glad that they did well, Polanski told him, you know, have you seen how much dialogue you got in this movie? Yeah, you don't need it's more. like, okay, then <laughs> talk faster. And he's like, what, what do you mean? Well, my deliv- your delivery is slow. And he says usually he would get really offended when somebody would tell him his delivery was too slow. Right. But in but, this case, yeah, he says, there's a pacing to this movie. Right. And you have to get on my tempo <laughs> right. or I'm going to smack you in the face. Well, apparently he'll chase him with a boom arm from a microphone. Right. So exactly. Those, those two guys got So we're going to bring our discussion of Chinatown to a close. If you stuck with us, awesome. I'm so glad. It's Chinatown Amity. It is Chinatown. And let's talk about October, because this is the last episode in September. So next week, or next month, rather, Mm -hmm. four movies for four weeks. And we start with Deliverance from 1972, which we have... Exactly. Mm -hmm. We have spoken about before, so you'll get an old episode with a fresh twist at the beginning. And we'll talk about how it is a thriller, Mm -hmm. uh, and if it is a thriller. And then... Rear Window, 1954. We're going to get to see J- Jimmy Stewart nice again. <laughs> He's not a... And more importantly to me, I get to see Grace Kelly. Yeah. Oh, yes, she is in it as well. That's right. In color this time. <laughs> That's right. It is in color. I always picture of it, it being black and white. I haven't seen it in This is a big, de- fancy Technicolor movie. Um, followed by, as I said earlier, Bonnie and Clyde from mm-hmm. 1967. Uh, Morphe Dunaway and... Warren Beatty, who is not generally my favorite actor, so we'll see what I think. Yeah, and then finally, a, yeah. probably one of your favorite movies on this whole list, 
King Kong from 1933. This is going to be interesting because there's that movie like six minutes long. It's very short, and it is there are so many issues with it. Oh right, it's super racist. <laughs> right. Oh shit, I forgot. You yeah, guys, it's, it's super racist. It is, it's going to be. It's like oh, it's, it's actually an hour and forty minutes long. That's way longer than I thought it was. It's not, but it moves at a very quick pace. When you think about all the things that well, happen, it's an to adventure it, story. Every shit. every ten minutes, well, adventure story from the third was a different animal too that's true it was it's like pop 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 because we have to stick a b feature at the end of the end, so, yeah so it, yeah oh my yeah. god it's gonna be so racist though it oh, is no. gonna be horribly racist i'm just warning everyone ahead uh, of time okay yeah we'll do another warning before we actually watch it but that's it mm-hmm. deliverance rear window bonnie and clyde king kong that gets us to number 11 wow top 10 are all movies we haven't seen before so okay that's pretty good so, next week, Deliverance. In the meantime, do you have anything you want to recommend? Um, I'd recommend watching Chinatown. <laughs> I just, I really enjoyed this movie, but I will tell you another film that I enjoyed that we saw also. Uh, A Haunting in Venice. Yes. Which is the most recent of the Hercule Poirot. Uh, films that was done by, it's directed. Kenneth Branagh. Starring and directing Kenneth Branagh. Who He's I, got a mustache again, guys. If if you were worried that he mm. wouldn't have a mustache, he has a mustache. It's toned down, but it's still red. It, it's this weird double decker mustache. That it, he is, has. it is a double decker. Um, and it's it's just I think that it's a triumph of art direction, and it's it is beautiful design. And the cast is bananas. Right, that's that's the other thing. It's like you call in all these really amazing actors and just give them an opportunity to all shine individually. Yeah. It's it's a really fun mystery. I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed it as well. Do you have something that you'd like to? I rewatch the entirety of the Discovery of Witches show, and I can firmly recommend the first two seasons, and I guess watch to the end because there's resolution. Well, we felt the same way about True Blood. Yeah, the first season was kind of like I'm watching porn. And then after that, it really found its rhythm, and it was really, really, really good until the final season where I'm going, Wait, what? This one is, it builds up a really cool, interesting story for two seasons. We're getting real into character. We've got conflicts going on. And then in the final season, which is three episodes shorter than all the other seasons, they just wrap every one of those very well... um, woven mm-hmm. uh, narratives up in the most simple way possible and you just think well that's not that the first one isn't going to work some they're going to have to nope every <laughs> every first like solution just fucking works and it's really like well that wasn't like, I want conclusion. Like, I want satisfying conclusions. Right. But I want them earned. And I, none of them felt earned. It was very strange. I was surprised by how well uh, the Mysterious Benedict Society handled things like oh, that. So you know, they, you they, guys, they took it away. Right. They didn't just cancel it. They took it You can't even find away. it. Can't, you can't find them at all. And, yeah, just the idea that they worked so hard. And this is a kids or family show, right? to make it so that everything was a conflict and you were always wondering if they're going to succeed or not. Yeah, and And sometimes they didn't and they had to come up with another thing. That's the thing. Like, I want... There was almost no conflict Mm. in the last season because it was like, 
she's super powerful, he's super mad, together, they can conquer anything. And I'm like, this is like why I don't like watching Superman. Right. Like, he's got no weaknesses and he's got a happy home life. Like, <laughs> eh, boring. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just, I need, I need, I need, whoa. <laughs> I need That's why I like Godzilla. Angst. You never know if he's on your side. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe not, though. No matter how powerful he is. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's, I don't know. Those are th- some things you could watch. Mm-hmm. But yes, definitely a haunting in Venice. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be in theaters, but it's, you know. Get there now. While. Now. There. Do it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So that's this week. We, um, we are available on, <laughs> we, we have a Gmail account, so you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, and I have just read that Elon Musk is going to start charging people to, to be on Twitter, X, X, whatever the fuck it is. Uh, I will not be paying Elon Musk anything. So if that has come into effect... They're not, we're not on that. And we're not really on it anyways. I just push out the, like, we're not mm. tweeting. <laughs> I just push out the, oh, the uh, notification. So probably not over there. Facebook, email. I'm contemplating putting together a website, but we've gone five years without one. So it seems, uh, it seems like maybe not. We'll see. Uh, but until next week, I would like to remind you to please, please take your medicine. And we'd like to remind you. Better late than never. Okay.